this episode of the Hockey Assist was recorded two Mondays ago on March 8th. Due to life and scheduling issues, uh, it was unable to be posted last week. So, when Riley and I talk about the All-Star Game, and we don't include any of the recent referee player gripes, that is because it was recorded on March 8th. But anyway, keep listening to enjoy another quality episode. Hello, and welcome to the Hockey Assist, a basketball podcast. Here, we have conversations that give basketball fans deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court to the sport at large. My name is Nolan Cope, and here, as always, is my co-host, Riley Gaucher. What up, Mr. Cope? How are we this week? You know, it's a, it's a damn good week, Riley. It's a damn good week. A, a, a bummer of an all-star game put aside. I, I'm doing quite well. How about yourself? I'm good. I uh, don't know what to do with myself without regular season basketball, but the uh, the three point contest was fun, and and I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, we're gonna jump right into things today because we have a beast of an episode today that we need to get through. We have a guest showing up in uh, the second half here. Our favorite Timberwolves fan and overall wonderful human, Nick Lampy. But we've got to first uh, get the shoot-around done today. And after the shoot-around, of course, the minutia minute. So we're going to jump in here. Uh, Riley, you have something you've been super excited to do for a few days now for the shoot-around. Walk, walk, walk us through what we're doing and why we're sure. doing Sure. Sure. Um, so... Ever since the NBA went to the team captains style, you know, uh, of the all-star teams, I think welcome change. I think it adds a little tiny bit of um, excitement and, and intrigue, and you know, something else to talk about. Um, but there's been a there's been a problem because LeBron James is very good at drafting uh, all stars. Maybe not so much in terms of like drafting NBA players. Uh, you know, Shabazz Napier, shout out or some of the other guys that he has has thought were good along the way. Um, but he, he has a knack for, for figuring out which team is going to win. He's undefeated in the All-Star game. And I attribute that a lot to the preparation and the strategy that he must come into that draft with. And so this year was particularly egregious um, when Giannis Antetokounmpo found out the starting fives where he he lost his mind a little bit. He was, he was stunned because... You know, he, he declared the game already over, which, you know, in hindsight, he was pretty bang on right. All of Twitter, you know, was universally praising LeBron's team and talking about how mismatched it was. And, and all of that ended up being accurate. And so I think I, as soon as I watched that draft, I, I just love drafting. I think it's exciting. And then I also, I, you know, I think KD just did a bad job. And so I think we can do, we can do better in terms of, you know, 
picking players not because we have personal relationships with them or we're teammates with them, um, but trying to make like a truly balanced also roster and a little bit more of an exciting game. So if you were down for the stock exercise, I thought it would be fun for the two of us to draft all the all-stars onto our own teams and, and see how that goes. And you and I are both draft junkies. I know that I could end up in half a half a dozen to a full dozen fantasy sports teams every fantasy season just because the rush I get from drafting gets me going. So we're, we're doing this. We're going in full swing. We're not going to be debating anything here. We're not going to be uh, going to try to solve the NBA's problems with this. We're just going to be drafting, and we're going to give a quick – explanation of why we drafted the person we're going to draft the for our rules i'm going to represent team lebron and riley is going to represent team durant because as a big warriors fan kevin durant has brought riley a lot of joy in the past few years and lebron has. has brought him a lot of angst so i figured it was only right to do this and we will be drafting from the same pool of players that they had available. So we are knowing that Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant are out, so they will not be drafted. And uh, we will be drafting Embiid and Simmons because uh, the, although they were late scratches to the game, they were eligible for the draft. Riley, are you ready? I am, sir. Uh, you have the first pick, so I, I should really be asking you, are you ready? I am ready. And it, uh, it did not take me long to figure out who I would want to draft with the first pick for what I think is obvious reasons. And I want to apologize up front. I'm drafting Steph Curry with the first overall pick because his entertainment value and ability to hit wacky shots from all over the court in a game that no one really cares about is going to be valuable. So give me Steph. Give me Steph that, Curry. That's a great first pick. I, I will say that up until this year, he had a very poor track record at the All-Star game. So I am actually okay that you have you have taken Steph from me. Um, you know, he, he's good for one amazing highlight and a bunch of great comments every year, but he, he usually shoots the bar pretty poorly. So, you know, this year, notwithstanding, he's all yours, um, which which makes me enthusiastic to take my my other favorite player and a guy who dominates because he tries in the all-star game Giannis Antetokounmpo yeah that 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 pick is 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 gonna gonna hurt a little bit because he is like you said someone who actually puts in a little bit of effort uh which gives me throws the the pick back to me and uh another another young guy who uh a, a young guy who I think gives a bit of effort in this game and just an absolute joy to have on the basketball court anytime. I'm going to take Jokic. Yo- Jokic is an, an, another guy whose antics and entertainment value make him perfect for the all-star game. That's a, that's a great, a great pick. Um, and then that is going to give me the opportunity to draft a, a, a quote unquote fun guy, and maybe not someone who's built for the all-star game, but I think somebody who won the MVP a couple years ago. And it's just a, great all-around player i'm gonna give Kawhi lettered a chance on team durant all right uh lebron is a a master drafter here and he knows he doesn't need a full season with this guy he just needs one game and uh i think he ended up getting get a few buckets in the game so i i'm gonna take Kyrie to round out my 
my guards. He, he, he's been around. He has no problem ball hogging. Uh, I, I think he's going to add something to my squad here. Oh, he's a, he's a player built for the All-Star game. I think that is a great, a great pick. Um, I am going to go, I think, now with uh, a big guy because I'm just i going to lock down all the size. Give me Joel Embiid, uh, another dude who, who actually seems to try and, and a couple of years ago was generating all the offense for Team Steph uh, late, late in the game, which makes no sense, but that's how, that's how things were. You you are you are starting to add, add a little bit of size here, and uh, I've got LeBron, I've got Jokic, but I do need to to pick up a a bigger wing here. So with my uh, fifth pick to add to LeBron, Steph, Jokic, and Kyrie, I'm adding Jason Tatum. Mm, good pick, good pick. And so with the way that this works this year, that means I am left uh, with the last two picks being Bradley Beal and Luka Doncic, which I am very very happy to have on my team we got some scoring we got some shooting we got some passing i'm feeling good how do you feel about that Nolan? i'm feeling really good quick recap uh for for team lebron we've got stefan Kyrie for the guards jason tatum and lebron for the forwards and Jokic is the big man hub in the middle for team durant it, it's all all sorts of size over here with Giannis, Kawhi, and bead beal and Doncic. Nice. All right. Well, we have to keep this moving as much as I would love to, to debate these teams and really break it down. Um, and so with the first pick of the reserves is Team Durant. I am going to take the guy who just loves to put on a show and, and loves to hit from deep, as we saw this last week. Give me Dame Time, Damian Lillard. I, I knew there was no way he was going to make it to me. And as he showed with, with Steph the other night, like they, their ability to make shots from half court proved to be wildly useful in uh, this all-star game. I would have uh, thought. I, my, my next, my next pick, I, I don't want you to have, have even the chance to take him. Not that you would ever draft this man. <laughs> I'll take James Harden. J- James, James Harden okay. is, yeah. uh, is, he, he 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 checks a lot of boxes. All pretty much all the boxes. I'll happily take. Oh, it. he does. He does. Um, that is that is a really good pick, and I I might have even taken him as much as I you know cannot stand the style of play. It uh it translates. What can I say against the U.S. the best players? All right, with my next pick, I'm gonna take somebody who you know doesn't really stand out, but I I love this guy, and I think he plays a style that actually worked well in, in the Ulster game. Give me Paul George. Take him, man. Take him. And, and so with my, with my, with my next pick, pick looking at, looking at this thing, I, I'm not LeBron starting to just, uh, try to put together a, a big rivalry out West. So I'm going to add young, young flamethrower Donovan Mitchell, who was averaging 40 points in the playoffs last year. I'd be excited to see what he could do in the all-star game excited i was i was gonna hope to draft him really late but uh that's a great pickup for you okay um you know to go with my my theme of size i want to take someone that both both these guys are really excited to draft and that is ben simmons yeah one of the best defenders in the league and i my reserves have been really really light on defense so far so 
even though he may have been the last the last pick in, <laughs> in the uh, OG draft, I do need to add add a bit of size to my team. So I'm I'm picking up Rudy Gobert. I like Gobert. He's the best defender nice. in the league, best defensive big man in the league, and uh, defense doesn't win All Star games, but couldn't hurt. I I love that the Jazz are getting love. You know. Giving them their plaudits, that's that's fantastic. Good for you, Nolan. All right. Um, I, I guess that the next guy I have to have is somebody who turns it up in the All-Star game and somehow like ditches his crotchety old man routine to just become a highly entertaining player. Give me Chris Paul. You're right. Uh, he, he does have that crotchety old man routine. So I'm going to pick the guy with the most joyous youth out of everyone uh, remaining and everyone really available to begin with Zion Williamson. Oh, that's a great, great pick. First all-star game, not his last. He, uh, he is built for lobs in the all-star game. I, I could not think of a, a more exciting player to have in that venue. Uh, that was my next pick. So you have, you have taken someone for me that I was really excited about. Um, okay. I think Devin Booker is still left out there and we've seen how much three point shooting matters in this game. So give me book and uh, give me both of the sons. Yeah. Uh, so someone who who's been known for three point shooting and monstrous dunks who I think uh, could have a little bit of fun in the all-star game is Zach Levine. So I'm going to go ahead and take Zach Levine for team LeBron. Great pick. Great pick. It's really hard to have a bad pick, I think, in this in this situation. Um, yeah, that's that's who I was looking at next to you. You've read my mind a number of times. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna just double down on the wings that I've got on my team, and I'm gonna go with Jalen Brown. Not an exciting player, but I think you know he contributes to winning. And if that's what we're we're doing this draft about, then that's that's a guy I want on my team. And if I'm going with a with a full bench mob for my team at one point, some someone who might dominate the ball for maybe three minutes and score eight points would be Julius Randle. So I'm adding Randle. First time All Star, gonna have some energy. Shout out to the New York Knicks and that amazing record that they've got going on. Over right 500. Now. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I definitely need some size, um, and. I don't know if I should take the 6-2 DeMontis Sabonis or Nikola Vucevic, but I think I'm going to go Vuce because uh, I want to, I want a true setter. And I want a guy who really can still shoot the lights out. So give me Vooch. Uh, Yeah. Taking Vooch that leaves me the, the last overall last European big man available here. And that's Sabonis. Who is, who is an exciting player in his own right. And I, I think, just maybe doesn't have the, the splash that really, you know, leads him to be drafted high in a, okay. well, Nolan, that was so much fun. Do we want to just read who we've got on each of our teams real quick? Yeah. T- Team LeBron is, is starting, uh, like I said earlier, Stephen Kyrie at the guard positions, Tatum and LeBron uh, at the wings and Jokic, the big fella in the middle. Wow. That's that's pretty damn good. All right, and then Team Durant, who is uh, unfortunately playing without their captain, has Luca at point, Bradley Bill at off guard, uh, Kawhi at small forward, Giannis at power forward, and Embiid 
manning the center. We are going to lock you the heck down. You can certainly try, but uh, a man like Steph Curry, all he needs is uh, one foot of space from anywhere on the court. This is true. This is true. We'll see. Um, all right, filling, and then in reserves. F- filling out my reserves are a bunch, bunch of fun, really high potential for a lot of fun here. Harden, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Zion, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, and Domantas Sabonis. I think you have the athleticism uh, quadrant of these rosters on lock um, because I'm countering with a little bit more understated, but I, I think highly skilled guys in Damian Lillard, Paul George, Ben Simmons, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Jalen Brown, and Nikola Vucevic on my bench. Um, yeah, so that was that was super fun. Everybody out there, if you want to tell us whose team you think is better or give us give us feedback, tell us we were idiots for picking where we did, we would love to continue this discussion. Uh, so, so hit us up on Twitter via text, however you choose to reach out. Nolan, I, before we go any further, did you have any like very brief thoughts on All-Star Weekend and, and what happened and what we got to see? Nah, man. Oh, th- th- I, I think last year's All-Star Weekend was one of the most exciting I've ever seen with the Elam ending. I think this one's was just no one wanted to be there. And it, it showed, and I don't blame the players for that. So that that's no. I, I was not not excited, just like the players were not excited. Totally. I uh, I admit I took a nap halfway through the game. I skipped dunk contest. And I still have not seen it, and I don't think I'm missing out on very much, which is sad. Uh, but that does lead me into the minutia minute for this week. I have a couple gripes with All-Star Weekend that I would just love to see rectified. So putting a minute or so on the clock. My first, my first gripe is that I want to see this draft happen live right before the game. Because they don't need practice. We know they're not going to practice. I think doing this in person with the guys that you have to pick glass standing there in front of you would just be high comedy. It would be like drama. It would be riveting. And I, I love the, just the aspect of, oh, it's like a pickup game, right? Like here are NBA all-stars playing pickup because that's what the game turns into. So I would, I would love to see that change happen. I know it never will because they have to print jerseys and everything, but I think that would just add so much of an extra dimension to an already kind of overplayed thing. I also, my other thing is I need, I need to see the, the three-point contest become like the final event on All-Star Saturday. It so clearly delivers more than the dunk contest. The skills challenge is useless. It doesn't demonstrate anything. I don't know why I spent any of my time watching it this year. Um, so I would be happy if they, they did away with the skill challenge at all and just made the three-point contest expanded because I think it's a perfect format. Every time they change it a little bit, it actually makes it even more exciting. And it, it just always delivers because it, it it's based on something that's, that's objective. You have the ball going in or not, but there's still drama. It just, it hits all the right notes for me. So I love, love that situation. And that, yeah. those are my uh, all-star, all-star minutia, all-star takeaways. Thoughts, um, thoughts on that, Nolan? The three-point contest definitely doesn't get a lot of, enough love. And your idea for the draft is genius, and we'll file it away under the category of brilliant ideas that have 0% chance of happening, like you said, for the marketing side of things. But to be looking the dudes in the eye when you're drafting them first and last is just going to get tensions running high for this basketball game so that the the junior high 
kid at PE and me is just wanting to see that so bad. I, I, I also, I do want to add one more thing that I love the Elam ending with all of my heart. I think it's something that should come to basketball as a whole. Uh, I think it, it's, it was genius and it, it, you know, there's just, there's no problems with it, right? Like they ironed out all the kinks. It works in the, the basketball tournament, um, that other minor independent thing that they play. Um, and so as much as it was a disappointment this year, like not to get an exciting finish, I don't blame that on the format. And I, I blame that on Durant for being a bad GM. Um, and so I, I just hope that they keep with it um, because it's still super exciting to see Dame mock the game off the half court shot, uh, even if we didn't get the drama that we did have last season. Yeah. Way to, way to wrap that up. We're, we'll, be right, we're, we'll be right back with our new guest and our new topic, main topic for the day. All right, everybody, we are here with our good friend and someone we actually mention on this podcast quite a bit because of his basketball affiliations, Nick Lampy. Nick, how you doing tonight? I am giddy with excitement. This is uh, actually my first time on a podcast, so this is a big day for me. So uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's our pleasure. We we are very excited to have you here. Very yeah, excited. excited to be here. Welcome to the uh, millennial, recently out of college grind, which is get on a podcast. It seems to be what what the <laughs> what the people are doing these days. All the cool kids. Yeah, and now this is a basketball podcast. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, story with basketball, how you came to the sport, uh, who, who you root for. Give us the good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, um, I just grew up playing basketball, you know, since I was young, that was my, uh, my go-to sport. Um, unfortunately, I uh, had to step down from the competitive level in high school uh, I was only about five foot six, so that did uh, not lend to my advantage too much, uh, but still played, you know, recreationally and intramurals and all that, all that fun stuff. Um, in terms of who I root for, um, I somehow became a Timberwolves fan, um, kind of actually, it was around uh, seventh or eighth grade, actually. Um, they traded for this guy, Chase Bunninger, who is from my hometown of Encinitas and a hometown hero. Uh, and I didn't really have a team to root for at the time. So I just kind of picked them up and suffered along for the ride for the last, uh, what, 10 years, 15 years now. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a fan of basketball. Always have been. It's uh, definitely one of my, uh, one of the things that brings me joy. So for, uh, for some of our listeners out there who are not in the fantasy leagues that Nolan and Nick and I uh, all participate in, everyone should know that Nick Lampy is the king of solid fantasy picks. Uh, it does not matter what round. It does not matter what player. It doesn't Nick even matter what sport. <laughs> it doesn't matter. This is true. This, is, this might just not be a fantasy basketball thing. It might be a fantasy period thing. Um, cause he's currently also leading the, uh, bachelor, um, 
fantasy league that we are we are in together i didn't watch tonight yet so it might not be for long you're right on my heels riley yeah uh well we'll see we'll see about that but but yep. that all that is to say that this man just knows his sports and he 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 picks people who are under the radar but we all unanimously agree that we wish we would have done what he did so that's just just some context to to give people a reason to take his opinion seriously i appreciate that so nick what is the optimist outlook on the timberwolves future right now how is how is this going in the right direction walk us through how this uh, is a happy ending well i'd say it starts with another first second third overall draft pick um you know you need a couple you know stars to build around and i think right now you know we're building around carl anthony towns who is he's only 25 um and so he's kind of got to be the team leader so i think he's got to grow into the role a little bit, mature a little bit. And I think, you know, something the Timberwolves are lacking quite a bit is it seems just a winning culture and some sense of consistency. Um, you know, head coaching players been battling a lot of injuries and suspensions this year. Um, so I think all of those things could kind of lend um, to success in the future. Right now we are sitting at seven and 29, a hot 20 games out of first place. Um, so I think this season is going to be kind of just grind and build and, you know, try to mesh with the new coach, um, see what works and then see what we got to build off of or see what they got to build off of. And, um, yeah, go from there. It's not looking optimistic right now, but, um, Anthony Edwards is very fun to watch. And so I think he is a great addition to the team, whether or not he's efficient or not in the meantime, he's throwing down dunks and that's all I can ask for. That was, that was uh, widely discussed on last week's episode uh, that Anthony yes. Edwards dunk that, that got Twitter all aflame. So we're, we're glad that you're bringing in the inside perspective here. Uh, Absolutely. Going off some, some things you mentioned. Um, I just want to quickly ask, what did you think of the Ryan Saunders firing and the way that was all handled? Uh, you know, he's got a lot of family ties and like, you know, yeah. sentimental value to the organization. Yeah, I think, I mean, the hiring, when they hired Ryan Saunders, I think it was a little bit rushed from what I recall. Um, and I think it was a great move at the time, you know, especially with Flip's passing. Um, but I don't think he was ready. He was very young for a head coach. And so I think, you know, he could have stayed in an assistant role for a little bit longer. Um, and then, you know, he just wasn't really set up for success, I guess. Um, so, yeah. And then in terms of the hiring of the new coach, I, I know that the Wolves have had their eyes on, um, what's his name? New they hired Chris something. Is it Chris Finch? Finch, yes. Chris Finch. Yep. Yes. I know that they've had their eyes on him for a while and he is kind of widely viewed as kind of the next guy up um, for head coaching positions. So I think he's a good hire, but I wish they would have been a little bit more transparent in their hiring process. Um, it didn't seem like they really opened it up. Um, and I know that there's not much representation um, from black men in, as coaches in the NBA. 
Um, and I, you know, that is something that I would like to see more of. And I think a lot of people would like to see more of and society would benefit seeing black men in those roles. Um, so I was a little bummed, but I don't know. Time will tell. We will see how it rolls. I, I, I commend you for that uh, very measured take. I, for, as an outsider, it, it seemed a little crazy um, for them to fire the man and then have the replacement ready yeah. within, I don't know how many minutes. Um, so I just, you know, like their process is their process, right? Like to me, it's, you know, do whatever, but it, it's just like, man, is the PR better? Come on guys. That's, Absolutely. That's yeah. I'm sure it was. It. Yeah. I'm sure it was calculated and they had thought about it and done a lot of research behind the scenes, but yeah, yeah. it was kind of minute by minute, you know, updates. Okay. The, the last thing I want to ask you about um, Timberwolves is, can you explain to us at all the Glenn Taylor, Kevin Garnett situation and like what is happening with the sale of the team? Because, you know, you were talking earlier about like them not really being set up for success. And I'm of the opinion that that kind of all comes from the top, right? Like the fish rots from the head. And so like, are you excited about him selling? Would you have been excited about KG getting the, the bid? Um, like, would it, yeah. like, can you fill me in? Cause I still don't entirely understand what happened. It seems like there's a lot of emotion on both sides of that situation. Yes. Um, honestly, Riley, you are usually my go-to guy for these situations. I don't know a lot about the behind the scenes and you seem oh, to be well, the expert so we're in on trouble then, salary caps and whatnot. I do know I love KG and I would love to see him, you know, be part of an ownership team. Um, I can't remember why it fell through the last time he attempted. Um, yeah, I don't think I know too much about that topic, but yes, I okay, hope no the worries. team sells and we get some new, you know, fresh minds at the top. Yeah. From everything I've heard. are crossed for you. Yeah. Yes. From, from what everything I've heard, it's that Kevin Garnett has done a decent job of trying to like get himself into uh, a position to offer a bid. And Glenn Taylor is just such a, a raging dick that he doesn't want <laughs> Kevin Garnett involved in any way because of their public feuds in the past. But anyway, Nick, we did not bring you here just to shit on your favorite team. <laughs> uh, whenever the Timberwolves are mentioned on this podcast, it is rarely in uh, a positive light. So we want to transition away from that for you and for our listeners. And your really eloquent, really thoughtful take on the hiring process is exactly the reason why we were really excited to have you on this podcast. So we didn't even come to you with a topic in mind. We came to you and we we're like, Nick, what do you want to talk about? So we, we shot that text off and we started that conversation and, and uh, you came back right away with some, some takes and some thoughts, uh, walk, walk us through, uh, what you let us know and, and why you want to talk about it. Absolutely. So I guess, you know, being playing basketball growing up, I had my fair share of, you know, feuds with referees and I know you can really beat that argument to death, but I think it is a fun thing to throw around. There's lots to talk about in terms of, you know, refing and the NBA game, the, bas the game of basketball, the NBA in particular. Um, but I just kind of compiled a list. Well, not a list. Basically, wanted to chat about, um, you know, why 
refing in basketball and the NBA in particular is such a hot topic and why, um, you know, there's so much controversy surrounding it. So I did some thinking and I pulled together uh, kind of a three-tiered answer, I guess, to that, that question. I guess let's not an answer, but more observation style. Um, so the three, before you dive into that, um, yes. I want to let the listeners know that that's more like effort and research than I think Nolan and I have done on <laughs> probably the, the previous five episodes combined. So just, just props and thanks for uh, showing us up in the, uh, the uh, professionalism department there. Nick. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That probably came off as more structured than I meant it to be. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's all good. A it's, lot of this it makes us be... sound very together. <laughs> a lot of this will be really coming out of my ass. So we'll see how it goes. It might go downhill from here. But basically the three tiers, the three pillars I uh, am basing this conversation around are that number one, uh, the game of basketball requires a lot of referee interference as, um, you know, compared with other sports, soccer, baseball, football, things like that. Number two um, is that the NBA is a business. And so um, when, you know, the NBA makes decisions, oftentimes it is incentivized for money, which, you know, usually lines up with entertainment as well, but sometimes does not, sometimes doesn't line up with fairness. Um, and so that leads to some discrepancies as well. And then my third pillar is that, um, you know, referees are human and sometimes humans are bad at their jobs. Um, simple as that. Yeah, so if you want, we can go pillar by pillar. Yeah, we're um, we're we're excited to get in. I'm I'm personally really excited to get into all three of those things, especially because this whole idea of talking about the refs is something that almost no sport wants to happen. Because in a perfect world, the referees are there, they enforce the rules, and then they leave. And people spend more time looking at the players the product, right? The product of that business you were mentioning, Nick, and not as much time talking about the referees, right? But baseball and basketball, where these umpires and referees are so present, like fans are aware of their names. They know the names of the refs that they hate, the refs that always seem to target certain players. And Tony Brothers, Tony Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) And there has been a, a, a rise in discourse around refereeing in the NBA within the last month. So this is, this is timely. And I, I, I can't wait to get into these three pillars and, and just to start breaking them down. So Riley. Yes. What are, what, what are some of the, the biggest trends or, or biggest things that you've noticed pop up about sure. uh, refereeing in the NBA? We'll sort of start with, with Nick's first thought process is that basketball yeah. requires a lot of refereeing and a lot of attention. So Riley, sure. what, what, what are some of the things you've noticed pop up a little bit more lately? Um, so I actually, I kind of want to compare this to soccer. Um, you know, Nick, Nick mentioned that. And I think it's a very interesting comparison, but I, I see some similarities in that the strategy of both of these sports has evolved very recently to, to rely on referees more and more because as analytics and as data and as people think about like logically the value of different kinds of plays and different kinds of possessions in both of these games, they're realizing that forcing the referees to make a decision and then 
you know, capitalizing on the, the, the benefit of that decision, whether it's free throws or it's penalties or, you know, free kicks in soccer, those are the most valuable kind of possessions you can have in each of those sports. Um, soccer's always had a, you know, a reputation of, of flopping and diving, but I think, you know, with the added kind of uh, influence of, of VAR um, and, you know, just the, the debate and, and whatnot and people getting smarter about the game, you're seeing a lot more pressure for people to draw penalties because you know, they're converted at like an 80% rate or something. And I think the same thing has been happening recently in the NBA, especially because of James Harden. Now, I don't, I don't want to blame the entire thing on him, but I think he, he's one of the most efficient scorers of all time. And people look at his game and go, how is he doing what he's doing? And you, you start to break it down. And you realize the, the the play where he's fouled on a three-point attempt is the most valuable play in basketball, right? Like, and so to me, all of this conversation comes down to, I don't, as much as, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this later, I think with the refs are human, but like, I, I think that the, the bigger problem is with the rules that the NBA has and, and what the incentive structure is behind that um, because people are incentivized to draw, to draw fouls. And I, I think that is a, bigger deal to me at least than even the behavior of the, the categorization rest. All that being said, to answer like more of your question on, um, I think replay has just, you know, gotten more and more and more omnipresent. And there's serious conversations that I'd love to have with you guys about balancing the entertainment product versus the accuracy and like the, the justice and the sense of vindication that, that we all have about fairness and whatnot in the sport. Um, and I think we've just had a ton of high profile issues recently that are not even about the the way the game is played, but the way that people individually conduct themselves. And that's, you know, where the controversy is coming from recently. So I think those are, those are a lot of different issues, but I think to me, there's, there's kind of three separate things, right? Is there's the rules and the strategy. There's how do these people, you know, in a professional setting, supposedly, but one fueled by testosterone and, and energy, like how do they conduct themselves and how do they interact? And then also like, what do we want this sport to look like and, and how as consumers should we feel about the, the league's attempt to, to get more things right, but sacrifice flow and, uh, you know, the je ne sais quoi of like, um, of, of controversy and, and of human unreliability in the process. Yeah, As always, Riley, you you dropped in a ton of different points right there. So we'll try to we'll try to break it down uh, bit by bit. Nick, Nick, what were some things that popped into your mind as Riley was was going off there? Uh, um, first thing I would say is that when you mentioned James Harden, I think a lot of times when people complain about the way that the game is played today and the way that the game is called, uh, I think it's kind of coded language for I don't like how James Harden plays. Um, <laughs> So that was definitely one thing that stood out. And yeah, it is like there are many players that kind of, you know, change the way the game is played um, or even, you know, implement rule changes. Um, oftentimes when a rule does change in the NBA, it's in response to one particular player. Um, like, you've, like I think Will Chamberlain had like five different rules changed uh, because he was just too dominant. Um, there was like the booty rule, which is, uh, you know, five se- offensive five seconds made because of Charles Barkley. Um, Shaq made a lot of rules get changed. Um, re- more recently, they had to change rules because of like the hack a Shaq or hack a Jordan or hack a whoever. 
Um, so yeah, pretty much every. I would, I would also mention the the Kevin Durant rip through is the most recent example that I can think of. But the NBA yes. actually doing a good job, right, of saying like this is not shooting; it shouldn't be shooting, and now it's no longer in the act of shooting. So Absolutely. props to them, I think, for that that change at least. Yeah, and I think um, so. That rule, I think, was a step in the right direction. I think they've kind of reversed the progress on that rule with the uh, protecting the shooter. Um, it seems oftentimes, and this is kind of a James Harden thing as well, where, you know, you shoot it up, if you throw your head back or you fall, you know, once you land after you shoot, it seems like you're getting a call. Um, and yeah, that, like, I love the, the change they made with the rip through, but I feel like it's kind of been erased with the whole protect the shooter movement. So sorry, I, I interrupted your flow there. Yeah, yeah. My 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 whole thing with 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 these sort of rules that that we're touching on right now is ultimately like I am all for like we talked about with analytics last week. I'm all for teams finding that competitive balance and that that competitive advantage, not not even balance, competitive advantage. And for me watching these games where the emphasis now falls on the players kicking their legs out and drawing these fouls. It's a lot more jarring to me as a fan who enjoys watching what I think is a beautiful game. Is, is that something that you guys can resonate with at all? Totally. And I, I think like your earlier question of like, how has it changed? I think we've just seen such a dramatic uh, shift in in the like trying to draw three point fouls and especially the last month whether it's uh, I can't can't think of a specific example you know Devin Booker I think recently had a play right and Nick I think your your point about you know I hate James Harden as a is a really good one um, <laughs> and I the way I meant it was more that like people in the league have looked around and realized that what he was doing was winning like it was it was successful and and so even like a guy like Steph Curry who you know in in his early years like Warriors fans were kind of mad at him because he would never try and flop right he didn't draw as many fouls as he probably should have a player that caliber and recently he's changed his behavior and it's awful to watch and I think a lot of us are are frustrated because we don't want to see anybody play that way um but it's it's just kind of that's where the league is going yeah and actually so um I know you've talked a little bit on the podcast as well about, you know, how the game has changed and, you know, it's gotten a lot more positionless and moving towards small ball. Um, and I think that change as well has kind of affected, you know, the, the, the foul calls. Um, if you look, I looked um, at the average number of fouls per game and it's actually declined very steadily since like the fifties. Um, so I think the NBA and I guess even the ABA um, have been trying for a long time to, you know, decrease the number of foul calls in a game and speed things up. Um, and I think more recently, a lot of that might be because, um, you know, the disappearance of prominent big men, um, which I think makes the game so much more physical when there is that big body. And, um, you know, there's more pushing around, there's more, you know, backing people down the post. And so I think with that gone, it kind of sets a standard of, you know, the tolerance of contact is lowered. And so a lot of that kind of Great moves point. towards the perimeter um, 
in towards these these foul calls that are kind of frustrating to see. Yeah, I think you know, like the league recently did the like freedom of movement things, right? Because they they wanted to you know adapt to the the off ball movement and the the motion and the this kind of three point dominated style of play that's that's happening. And I I thought that was a good thing because it was frustrating to see guys being held off the ball and it not really getting called. But at the same time. I think Nick's so right that it, it's changed everyone's tolerance and, and we, we start to call things that I think probably should not be called. And my, my general sense is, you know, I actually enjoy watching defense play as much as, you know, offense is beautiful and enjoyable. I think the great thing about basketball is the balance that exists between them and, and the, you know, it's, it's like such a clear demonstration of intelligence and athleticism when you play great defense and it's become really, really, really hard to do that. And so I think that's like my strongest takeaway from all of this stuff is that I think the league needs to make it easier on defenders because right now, you know, I, I don't know that that's like remove the protecting the shooter, uh, like landing space. I think that's a, a good call to keep guys healthy, but, you know, like moving screens on offense, they've, they've really, I, I don't have a ton of playing experience. So maybe Nick, you can, talk more about what that's like but I think you know it's 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 kind of getting absurd with how loose you know that's interpreted and and you know Steve Kerr's pet issue is like traveling right the the gather step you know it's it's still within the rules but it's the the limits are being the Overton window of of what's allowable is being pushed and I think it's all been on the offense's favor and that's that's really I think the problem right is if if there was some little bit more balance in the in the way things were called, it wouldn't we wouldn't be having this conversation. People wouldn't be as upset. But it seems to be that it's always, you know, an offensive player getting away with something or like pushing off or, or jumping into the the defender that really kind of grinds people's gears and, and makes people frustrated and not want to watch. You know? Yeah, so, we got to bring back the hand check. Bring back the hand that check. Was, hand check was literally my play style. That is a personal yeah. attack on me. <laughs> yeah, uh, Riley, you're, you're touching a bit here on on one on one of Nick's three pillars here of the refereeing, which is like the NBA is a business, right? And we joke about some of those Pistons games from the early 2000s, where the final score would be 82 to 79, you know, and that those types of games don't sell as much as the shootouts, you know, the, the games that are now like 140 to 135, you know? So is the, uh, is the, the, the NBA is a business, right? Business favors offense. Nick, is this where you were going with that, with that point a little bit? Actually, it's, it's a very good point, but it is not really where I was going. I was going more into the tinfoil hat territory with the, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, NBA fixing games, but no, this is good. We can keep this going. Yeah. Well, we'll, sorry, we'll I, sa- save the tinfoil hat. And do you think for now, Riley or Nick, do you guys think that the NBA being an offensive presence an offensive sport, do you, do you think that is affecting these rules that are, we're talking about right now? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, like you, like Riley was saying, you look at, you know, what the movements are, and um, you know, they got rid of hand checking, I think, because of Kobe. Um, they wanted to see, you know, more production, and 
Kobe was an exciting player and he got roughed up in the play playoffs one year by, um, I think it was Detroit. Um, and then the next year, it's they always Detroit. It's always it's Detroit, always damn Detroit. it. <laughs> Bad boys, where it's always Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but no, it's, that's just kind of how things are moving. And I mean, you look at the trends and number of fouls per game has been going down and uh, the points per game has been going up. So I think it's working and it it is exciting in that sense. I So I actually, I want to, uh, like I, I often do, I push back a little bit on Nolan um, just because I think the most tense and dramatic game that I've ever watched was the 2016 finals game seven, which was astronomically low scoring for the, you know, the, the level of offensive talent on both of those teams. Um, and so I, as much as I, I, you know, I do get that shootouts are exciting. I think there's something to be said for like the low scoring nail biters. Right. Um, I think that just ramps up the value of each possession. It ramps up the, the tension each possession and it means that every single action matters more um maybe that's only like an argument that appeals to nerds like me and you know maybe the, the nba has realized that it just you know it's easier to sell casual fans who when we when we say like the nba is a business i think to me that's the important part to remember every time is right is like the diehards like us are going to pay attention no matter what they do right so it's they have to cater Every every part like the reason that the All Star Game happened this year, I think, was because um, because they make so much money from people who don't pay attention the rest of the year. Even if people who you know really love basketball think, "Oh, this is a joke. What is this absurdity that we're watching?" You know, people who don't turn in will, will turn in to see their favorite stars, you know, going at it in in a really low key setting. And so I think. You know, when you brought up the, the NBA's business point, Nick, that that really reminded me, right, is that we have to think about someone who doesn't live and breathe with this stuff and what do they want to see? Because that's that's what matters. And that was keeps the league afloat and keeps keeps it profitable. Yeah. And you also think of it in that that side of things. Um, I agree. I, I love watching defensive battles, but the, there aren't as many defensive stats that can jump out on a page as offensive stats. And I think, you know, from the stat head point of view, um, they really love the offensive game too, because, you know, people are setting records all the time. Um, there's, there's just, the data is more and more absurd and more intriguing and, you know, fun to, fun to comb through. So from the stat head point of view, it's, it's also an improvement. And I, the, so if, I also agree with that. Like it is an improvement. I also agree that, people are going to turn in to watch those all-stars and whatnot. So I think one of the things that people have been talking about a lot lately is a seemingly larger amount of technical fouls, right? Yeah, yeah. And like when Devin Booker gets ejected for whatever it is, he got ejected for the other day. Right. And like, he's got a bad word. Dray yeah. And Draymond racks <laughs> do up. We, do we know, do we know which bad word? It was the B one. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> he so, said after the game that he had said it before in front of that ref, and nothing had happened. And then, yeah, they got yeah. it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that they, they were able uh, to get him on that one. So that, that one is, is probably a bit of, not, not a great example. But I, I mean, I, I, let's talk about it. Let's, let's, let's dive in into it here. Are it are players' respect for referees and certain referees too low? 
right now? Is 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 there a reason that players are reacting so poorly to referees uh, from what we can see? I think this actually kind of ties into the, the first pillar of my argument and that the game requires a lot of ref interference. And so, you know, interactions between players and the refs are just so normalized um, because, you know, fouls are called every, you know, three or four possessions. And so um, there are a lot of opportunities for the players to talk to the refs. Um, so I do think a lot of it comes from that and just that, the, you know, fast-paced nature of the game. I, I put a lot of the blame um, for this on the players, actually, because I think the like the trend of yelling and one after every single attempt, like I like I get it, right? Like it's 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 if you get one call over the course of your entire career because you were able to yell and one, it's worth it to just try every time, right? Like there's no downside. But I think that somehow being tolerated and being normalized, like uh, Eric Pascal on the Warriors, right? He's like a nobody. He's a sixth man. And the man yells and one louder than anyone I've ever heard. And he yells it on every single play that happens, whether somebody touched him, whether they didn't, whether there was any like impropriety at all. And I think that kind of attitude of, you know, we're going to try and squeeze as much as we can. And we're going to try and put pressure on the refs to, to really like discern whether something uh, needed to be called every single play. Like I, I get where it's coming from, but I think it, it makes that job so hard and it, it kind of has reduced the level of respect. I think that the players have for the refs because they, they see the relationship as being something where, you know, they're, they're just trying to like pry fouls away from the refs, right? Like it's, that's, it's kind of an adversarial sort of thing as opposed to like both of these, you know, groups, the, the, the referees and the players are, are all here to serve something greater and something that's collaborative, right? Like it's, it's, they're, they're all employed by the same people, you know? Um, and so I, I, I do wish that there was, you know, we talked about Luka Doncic a while back and just how often he complains. And I think all of that, it's, it is something that I think is getting worse in this younger generation. And I, I don't know if there's an easy fix because you can't really, you know, keep people up for that. But I, I think to me, it's like a slippery slope, right? Like the more you let people yell about nothing, the more likely are they are to yell mild obscenities, or in the case of Rajon Rondo, a couple of years ago, like call um, Billy Kennedy like a, a slur, right? Like that. To me, that's a the continuum, and it just one thing leads to the other. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, it's really easy to blame the young generation, you know, because uh, that that's been happening for for generations and and decades and much lo- longer than we, I'm sure, we even know, but. It's not just twenty-year-olds like Luca, right? It's also in their kind of in their prime guys like Robert Covington. In a game I watched the other night, was complaining about everything he was involved with. LeBron James, the face of the entire league, is so vocal. Where if he doesn't get a call on offense, he runs the entire way back down the court complaining to the ref and talking to the yeah. talking to him after yep. the the play is blown dead. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. And like, yeah, I I don't know if there's an answer to like this disrespect besides being like, hey, respect them more. But it, it's really grating to watch happen constantly. Every every foul that that that's blown, the defenders complaining, and every foul that's not blown, the offensive players complaining. And it's really really 
hard to watch for me personally. Yeah. And yeah. Another point with the young players for me, sometimes it seems like young players are less, at least the ones that are fresh out of college because they don't really know their place in the NBA yet. And so I don't think they're comfortable enough. And so I think some of it is some sort of power dynamic in that, you know, these players who have been around forever think that they, you know, have the right to argue calls and things like that. And so I don't know how to tackle that power dynamic um, or just the dynamic in general. I don't know, just send all the players and the refs on a kumbaya retreat and hash it out or <laughs> what that conflict management style would look like. I, I do have a suggestion. Um, since you mentioned college, I think I don't watch almost any college basketball, but every time I do, I am blown away with how bad the refs are and how good they make NBA refs look in comparison. Really? Yeah. I think, uh. I think it's the same thing that happens in football too. Right? It just like, you, you obviously assume that the NBA is hiring the best people in the world, but I think I've never seen it as clearly as, you know, someone who doesn't watch college when I do tune into a little bit of March Madness or a game here or there. I, I, I just, it makes me appreciate a lot more what NBA refs are doing. Um, and so I think, I don't know, can we, can we tell the players like, guys, you have to, you know, think about the contrast, right? Like think about the quality of refs that you were getting in, in college versus the NBA. Cause I, I do at least feel, I don't know, Nick, you look a little skeptical, but it, I think that there is a difference. And I think, you know, if people could appreciate what they have a little bit more in terms of quality, maybe that make make some difference. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Just give the NBA like, like kindergarten refs for like a year right. and then well, swap them back out. The, the replacement refs in the NFL. That's right? true. Like, yeah. That was, that was something that everyone was like, oh, we hate the refs. The refs are shit. And then as soon as they didn't have, like the union went on strike for a little bit, it was, it was a nightmare, right? It was, it, was, it was awful. And so, yeah. yeah, I don't know if we want that to happen in the NBA, but I think, well, so the, and the other thing that this triggers for me is I'm not sure if either of you listened to Monty McCutcheon did a low post podcast a number of years ago. Um, and it's one of my favorite pieces of media like I've ever ever listened to because he is just like an, an amazing person and the, the way he like broke down how he sees refs responsibilities and like what they're trying to manage and and you know what his job is you know now he works for the league office right he was probably the most well-regarded referee um, in the league and so it was I recommend that for anybody out there you know go back and listen to that episode because I think it, it gave me a lot more respect for for him and how he approached the job and and whatnot um and I think the, the problem maybe too, is there's just, there's been a lot of turnover recently, right? Like that's, that's another thing that we haven't mentioned is there's been a ton of really good referees that have been around for a very long time who've retired. And so maybe we're just seeing people who are inexperienced and really don't know what's going on or whatnot. Um, who knows how much that contributes, but I, I do think that's a little bit of a factor. Yeah. For those of you who don't know who Monty McCutcheon is like, I, was one of those people about 30 seconds ago. Uh, oh, Monty sorry. McCutcheon was a 25-season veteran of the NBA, uh, over 1,400 regular season games, almost 170 playoff games, which is, frankly, a, a astonishing amount. And he's currently the vice president, head of referee development and training in the NBA league office. So... 
he's he's a guy guy who's been around and and has had this uh this role and had a hand in this area for a very long time and, um to offer a podcast to contrast um riley's um i don't know glorification not glorification but um optimistic output on referees mm. whistleblower that one is uh, yes. about yep. uh tim donaghy and kind of how from their perspective, the NBA refing arena is kind of a shit show. Um, but yeah, and, and also with your point with the college, I admittedly watch about probably probably only five college games per year before March Madness. And I agree the refs are not as good, but I don't think they're too far below the NBA. Um, I think it is very different because the court is smaller, and so it's a much more physical game, and so mm. there are a lot more judgment calls. Um, sure. Um, yeah, and that kind of ties back to the first point as well. You know, um, the NBA because most of the calls are you know kind of in a gray area. Um, Absolutely. And so there is a lot of judgment, um, and I guess it's kind of amplified in the college game. Yeah. That's something that I, I think about with pass interference in football all the time that applies here a lot. Of, I, I think on every single pass that is thrown in the NFL further than five yards, there's pass interference. If the cornerback is contesting the wide receiver, there's, there's pass interference in some way. So some of them are called, some of them aren't called. And it's probably the same on layups, right? And yeah. so part, a part of me wonders like, what could be causing NBA players and NBA refs to be feuding more at this time. And a thought that I had uh, leading up to this podcast was, do the empty arenas affect the relationship at all? How much goes unheard by the referees, but from the players when they're surrounded by 50,000 people and how much are the players going to hold back against the refs when they're surrounded by 50,000 people, you know? So now that, now that the refs are uh, not really like protected by the loud sounds that the crowd makes and the general ambiance sounds of a full NBA arena, I bet they hear so much more. And I, I bet that some of this young blood is beginning to, to take some of these things personally and create, create this new generation of uh, player referee rivalries. I, I think that's such a good point. Nolan. I think that's probably the answer for like why this season and like, you know, Draymond and Devin Booker, all of those things. Um, because I, I can't imagine that things have gotten that much worse, right? Like there's, there's no kind of incident I would say that, that seems to be sparking any of this. And so I think that's, to me, that's the most logical and, you know, most valuable kind of explanation. Um, it actually, you know, and that kind of leaded me to point I wanted to make about the third pillar that Nick brought up, right, which is the refs are human. Um, and I think, like I said earlier, my biggest problem is that it is too hard to, to ref an NBA game, um, not just because of the volume, but because of the the wording of some of the rules and because you know, what's being asked for people to decipher in real time. Like I'm continually amazed when we go to replay and like, it takes me three or four different angles to see something. And, and 
when the ref did get it right. I'm like, I don't know how you did that, um, but but hats off. And so I, I think that's the question I want to ask both of you guys, right? It's like we've seen the coaches challenge and we've seen a, a larger use of replay review. Do you think that eliminating the human error from the game and like the stuff like the last two minute report that kind of highlights when the refs are right and when they're wrong, like, do you think that has been helpful? Do you think that's hurt the conversation? Where do you want to see that go? How, how do you feel? Um, I think I got to take the side of the robots in this one. Um, I think if there's anything that can be automated, it should. I don't think there's much that can be automated uh, successfully for the NBA because there's so many judgment calls. Um, but yeah, I love, you know, taking it back to the replay booth, um, you know, switching rules around so that it is, is easier to automate things. Um, yeah, I would say I, I err on that side of it. Yeah. Like, like I said earlier, un- unfortunately, referees are best like when we don't really notice them. You know, like when someone goes up the court and then there's a foul and then the whistle's blown and you're like, all right, send them to the line. That you're then you're focusing on the players, you're focusing on the game, and like we have. I, I I'm of the opinion that there's very few more powerful supercomputers than the human body in a lot of different ways. And, and the human brain does things that while it may not have the computing power of computers, it definitely has uh, things like judgment, you know, that, that can't be replaced by these people. And when, when we do find these areas for automation, like uh, you're referencing and like uh, Nick wants, wants to see, I'd love to make it, fast you know and it's it's hard it's hard to make going back to the booth to review fast but i don't know why these telecasts can't pay someone two people three people however many people you want to sit in a room and have the room surrounded by tvs that have every single angle of every single camera on the, on the floor at one point in time. And these people get good at watching the floor so that when there needs to be a coach's challenge, the ref doesn't have to go back and watch their own thing. They have a compatriot somewhere else. And so I know nobody out there watches the NHL, but the NHL does this. They have someone in Toronto with at the, I believe the league headquarters watching every game to help, help decide some of these things. And so if, if there's a way to make this faster, I'd love to see the automation, but at, at this point in time, like I don't think anything is faster than, than human judgment in these situations. Yeah. So I mean, like the NBA actually does currently have that same setup. They, they have a room in Secaucus, New Jersey, full of TV screens and it's nightly manned by, I believe three NBA refs. And that's their job for the night is to serve as the replay booth. But I'm fully with you, Nolan. I think it's it's stupid to me that we have the refs who are in the, the arena being a part of the conversation of like being the ones who make the judgments, even on like flagrants and stuff. I think the the part that really frustrates me is that on the broadcast, we, you know, get the television angle. And a lot of the time we get the announcers going, okay, I can see right here, his foot was on the line, or I can see right there that that was the contact or his foot was moving at the charge. And we get that answer within one or two replays. And then we still wait another minute and a half for the replay center to come back. And so 
my suggestion, you know, my, my biggest thing about how I would fix kind of this current situation is along the lines of what you're saying, Nolan, is that, you know, just give more power to those referees at home and put more people in that booth and speed it the hell up because I'm all here for the idea, right? Like they, they review foot on the line, like three point kind of situations, or did the shot go off before the buzzer? They do that like in the commercial breaks or like throughout the game. Why can't we use that same sort of system and have that answer ready for when, you know, coach challenge. Okay. They've already been looking at the play. Bam. Here's our answer. Because I think that would eliminate a lot of the problems. I, in general, I'm, I'm with you guys. I do think accuracy is important. I, I wanted to talk about, you know, just like kind of the rise of the situation and, and people are, people are very mad about how much review is happening now, but I don't think everyone remembers like a couple of years ago when there were all these, these just like awful missed calls and there was no way to go back and, and challenge them. And people were so upset, right? Like there was, it was drama and controversy. Maybe it was good for business because like, you know, no press is bad press kind of idea. But I do think that people who like are pining for the, the good old days when it was just kind of willy nilly don't, don't necessarily appreciate how frustrating it was to have big calls missed. Um, and so I would be all here for more review so long as it was closer to instantaneous, which I think is possible, right? That's, that's my, my main takeaway. I, okay, I have an idea and I'm going to preface it by saying it's a terrible idea, but I think <laughs> it's, it's fun for the sake of conversations. What about entirely removing refs from the court and instead just having people in the booth, maybe throw a guy down on the court with a camera so he can kind of, you know, get some good angles. Mm. Um, but that would entirely remove, um, you know, players arguing with the refs, um, I think would be the, the main attraction in that system. <clears throat> um, and I think it also, it might slow things down a little bit, but it at least would instantaneously give refs more angles and more footage to work off of. Because you think probably 90% of the game doesn't require an actual eye on it. So you can just, you know, once it happens, go back, rewind real quick and then see what happens. Does that make sense? I, 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 I like the creativity. My only concern with that is like, how do you make a call live? Right? Like how, how would someone, if they're not, you know, if like, oh, I just, somebody grabbed LeBron coming around a pin down. Right. And like, if, if the play isn't stopped, then, then you kind of get into the situation that soccer is dealing with right now with, they're deciding to let plays go and, you know, let, and then they're going to call off sides like a minute and a half or after the shot's been taken on target or not. Um, so I, I, I do think that that would solve a lot of the like interpersonal dynamics, but I don't know if you could get enough coverage and get enough like angles and get enough speed to be able to like stop play when, when you need to. Right. I agree. Yeah. I, I'd like to be on record by saying that, my favorite ideas are the ideas that are immediately prefaced by this is a terrible idea because <laughs> yes. it shows yeah. creativity coming around in that problem, you know, and what, what I, what I see would be not, not that that plan Nick is going to be installed in the NBA tomorrow, but what I would see is one of the main benefits is this, this, uh, eliminating this disrespect that's happening between players and referees you know and I think a good point to sort of like touch on in a in a meaningful way again is the whole idea of the refs are human 
which is a two-point idea. One, humans make mistakes. And two, humans have egos and emotions and, and, all, and all of these things. And so I, th I think we should spend uh, a, a, few more, a few more minutes touching on that before we go, because like the, the, this is the biggest problem with, with the refs and everything. It's not that they're ejecting too many people or whatever it is. And it's not even that the lack of sound in the stadiums is preventing or is allowing the refs to hear the, the, the disrespect is the fact that the disrespect is happening in the first place. So are, are, are there any solutions? Are, are there any, are there any ways that would be helpful for fans to, to think about this or to, to try to accept this as a part of the NBA? Because like we said, with the automation and with these new ideas, like the refs aren't going anywhere and the fouls still need to be called. So what, what, what could be done to sort of bring us together on this as opposed to, continue to divide us a little bit further apart just robots man <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just kidding i actually don't know riley if you want to tackle this one yeah first. i have i still have a thought and this might be crazy and you know another kind of bad idea but i think to me i hate seeing like the rejected for basically doing nothing and and the like the quick the quick hook right I wonder if, if leaning further into that um, is maybe the solution. You know, it, it might not work out for the business side because you want star players and nobody wants to tune in to see the refs, right? Like that's the common complaint is we don't want to see the refs. But I think, you know, if there was a much stricter line drawn and it was much clearer, like here is the, you know, you say this word, there's no, no mercy. Because that's, so that's the thing that I learned from that podcast with Monty Kutch was like how much like building a relationship with a ref kind of change, you know, because like we said, they're human, right? They have emotions. And so when you, when you're nice to the guy, right. When like you ask how their kids are or whatever, you might get a little more leeway or like Draymond has a reputation for yelling. And so somehow that lets him get away with more because people are just like, Oh, that's how he is, you know? Um, and so my suggestion would be, you know, draw a hard line. Like, you know, as soon as we, we see something that they don't consider appropriate, like start kicking more people out. And maybe that sends the message um, to, to get, you know, the, the relationship back to the, the place it should be. I, I don't know if that would make things worse. It very likely could go off the rails and, you know, we just see like power tripping, ego tripping, whatnot, but I'm with Nick, like beyond, beyond that, beyond really, you know, being disciplinarians, I don't know how you put the genie back in the bottle in a sense. Nolan, do you have a do you have a take? Um, I I mean, you're correct in that the league is never going to go for an option that is based around eliminating the players from games, you know, kicking them out of the games and whatnot. So the only tool that they could bring about is maybe less ejections, more fines. So maybe I I don't know if refs walk around with body mics on, but maybe throw a body mic on on each one of the referees so that like the the league can potentially try to pick up a little bit more uh, enforcement on what is said here and what is what is said there, you know, and and institute fines or implement fines. Uh, the teacher in me, the educator in me, knows that punitive <laughs> uh, measures, so like punishments, is never the way to get through to someone, you know. And the only other way to get through to someone is to sit them down and to have a legit conversation about it. And that's not something you're really going to be able to do with dudes who are making millions of dollars to play a game. 
you know? So uh, I, I guess as much as I don't like punitive measures like fines, these, this is their job and their livelihood. If you're able to take a little bit of a, a, a little bit of that away in certain areas, you know, like that might, might be a, a, something that allows a solution to pop up. Yeah. The only, well, okay. First of all, I'd like to say, I love what the NBA does with fines. Um, so as of right now, um, for every technical a player gets, they have to donate $5,000. Um, so they get fined $5,000, but it goes to a charity, um, which I love, but at the same time, kind of incentivizes uh, technicals as well, I think. <laughs> I love that it goes to charity, and I would not change that. But I think that if the players saw it as just disappearing money rather than money going away, that could change things. Although I don't think it should change. <laughs> like say on the record <laughs> right so um, ma- yeah. ma- maybe that's maybe that's something like the the fines just ramp up a little bit so your first technical foul is this amount of money right. and then your fifth they it, do do that actually it, it levels up like that that's what do you have the numbers in front of you so it's five per tech if you get ejected it's obviously just the 10 but i think after 10 it doubles and then after 15 or 20 you start um you have to sit games yeah um so i'd say just which i, I know too well games. because uh someone on the warriors Draymond. Uh, yeah i think that would be a better better um you know deterrent for uh for technicals would just be you know add the the time that they have to sit bring that down closer to you know 10 12 um, yeah that would help also i think that the, another way to motivate people is you know form relationships with them and this will sound very much earlier like my my go on a mountain have a kumbaya moment but what if they just like sat down had dinner before the game you know that kind of humanizes them it you know removes some of the power dynamic the players might feel over the referees um and it you know it it forms those relationships and you know work work is built off of relationships so i think that it would not solve the problem in any way shape or form i know it's not that simple but you know, doing things like that to work up those relationships, um, I think is just interesting. Um, and then I also, I actually have an idea kind of based around this ref are human point. Um, I think that there is some serious room. All the gamblers out there are going to love to hear this one. Yes. Or, this is like the next on my to-do list in terms of fun projects that I want to do. But I want to make a, a neural network that kind of bets on, you know, the Vegas line. And in one of the weights, so there's typical weights in the neural networks that, you know, like the team and the city and who's home, who's away, all that stuff. But I think you should add in the weight of who's refing the game and what their relationship is with the players. So like you think Scott Foster and Chris Paul have a terrible relationship and Chris Paul's record drastically decreases when Scott Foster is refing games. Same with um, other players on the Rockets and Scott Foster and I think there's a lot of, you know, relationship-based things. A lot of these have relationships with the superstars, especially, and are known to give out technicals, which can essentially remove superstars from the game in a game that is, you know, so superstar dominated. Um, so I think that could that could have a serious effect. And yeah, that's that's a pipe dream, but that's something I would I would like to monetize off of eventually. I like well, it. I like uh, it. We, um, we'll- 
we'll we'll help you throw the patent down on that uh so that, so that you can make that happen but yeah you heard I, it here first yeah i honestly do think hockey that, assist exclusive yes the <laughs> hockey assist, assist exclusive royalties we'll, we'll work out the details later <laughs> but uh i really like where you're going with the relationship building, you know, and that, that really, like, like I said, uh, scratches my itch of no, no punitive, uh, work, you know? So maybe even if it's not before every game with the referees, you know, maybe it's like once a week, you know, or once a month with, with players and teams come non COVID time, maybe there is a yearly player ref league sponsored, uh, summit. You know, where they get together and talk about the rules, talk about the way the rules are being enforced. I I do have to jump in here. Um, Another thing I learned from that podcast is that every year before the season, uh, a traveling party of refs go to every single team and sit down and have a conversation with these are the changes to the rule book. Here are video examples. This is how things are going to go. And they do provide that uh, opportunity. I don't know if every player is required to be there. And I think that might be one of the problems is that not every player is required to be a part of that meeting and maybe, maybe they need more, but I, I do have to put on the record that that does happen. Um, and I believe it's part of the yearly calendar in the NBA is the refs do go and visit training camp for every, every NBA franchise. Yeah. Go, going to visit training camp is one, is, is one thing. I, I, I'm glad that they do that, but number one, it's clearly not working. And number yeah. two, totally. I, f- I firmly believe in like making that sort of stuff intentionally done. So when you, when the refs show up the training camp, the players probably walk out of the weight room and then walk back into uh, walk into whatever room, get a presentation from refs. And then Chris Paul says something annoying. If you're on his team and everybody leaves, you know? So like, like uh, I I'd love to see it turn into a little bit more of like, a relationship building thing, you know, not less of a business meeting and more of like a, let's take two or three days and literally build on Nick's idea of Kumbaya on the mountains, you know, (laughs) and like getting together in that way. So uh, I, I like, I like where you're going, Nick, with, with this relationship building thing. And it's, it's not going to magically work, but if you can get like two or three representatives per team and, and turn it into something that, has has a legacy then maybe maybe we can start turning this around totally that's a that's yeah. a great point before we before we wrap up there's uh one question i want to ask you guys and that is you know like it's still my belief right that like the rules are fundamentally the most flawed part of this like block charge in my opinion is not correctly defined um because we we still like you read the rule book and people reasonable people can disagree and that's not how i think a rule book should be written right it's like there should be very clear, and I get it's hard to put into words exactly what everyone kind of knows intuitively, but all of that is to say, I think the rules definitely need changing because I think that helps the rest do their job better. So my question to you is what is one rule change you would like to see in terms of how things are refereed and, and you know, what's your number one wish list if you could be the sports czar to, to quote Bill Simmons and, and change anything, what would it be? I would say, okay, so you said one, but I'm going to say two. Yes, uh, break the rules all, immediately. Yes. <laughs> um, first of all, hand checking and body checking just needs to come back, mostly for personal 
you know, that's how I play <laughs> the game reasons, but also just cause it, you know, it is the, the essence, not the essence of defense, but it's a big part of defense and that's a big judgment thing. And um, yeah, I think it would just add that extra layer of, of uh, entertainment back. The second one is I think that the court should be wider. Um, I guess the reason is so that the the hand checking body checking doesn't take away too much from the game because uh, that could really stifle you know offensive players um, widening the court back out and speed up the game again um, gives players more room to move so they're not as cramped um, so yeah I would say those two in conjunction or we could build a time machine and send Nick back to the late 80s and he'll be in basketball heaven oh, for I like a decade that. and a half. <laughs> My time. Yeah. I, I, I like the idea of of widening the court. That That's something that, that uh, uh, tickles my imagination in, in a good way. Uh, the rule, the rule that I need to see fixed and I, I'm sure is going to be fixed in the big neck in the next big uh, sweeping change is kicking your feet out on the three pointers because it's getting ridiculous. You've got to protect that feet area, you know. Like Zaza Pachulia did totally change and alter the course of Kawhi Leonard's career and the Spurs franchise by getting under that guy. So you've got to protect players in that way, but the players are abusing it. And like, like it's getting to the point where I'd, I'd almost rather see the, these guys shooting threes have fouls sent the other way. If they like kick their legs 45 degrees to the side on a three pointer, cause that's just, that's just not legit. And I, I need to see that changed personally. Yeah. Nolan, Nolan, you stole mine. Um, cause I, I think <laughs> to me, it's not even just the legs, right? It's like whenever the, and maybe this is just cause I'm like late coming to basketball and don't really get it. But I've, I've never understood the idea that if you pump fake and someone is in the air, why that foul is usually called on the guy in the air, right? Like, especially when they jump straight up and down, the the, the justification I hear in the broadcast is, oh, he left his feet. It's it's his fault, right? Like, it's, we that's you just can't leave your feet. But to me, it's like if you jump straight up in the air, it should not matter what happens afterward. It should be an offensive foul if the contact is, quote, unquote, initiated by – the offensive player and I just I think that's it's almost never called that way um and it it frustrates the hell out of me you know it's not just like three pointers right it's like anytime somebody jumps it's almost guaranteed to be a foul and I I just I think it makes it so hard to play defense um that I, I would love to see the like baiting people into free throws kind of like that just almost banned from the game right it's like I don't I don't want people fouled all the time but I think the, the more you're allowed to defend and the more you're allowed to jump and not be punished, I think it would make the game more interesting. I think we just simply bring back no blood, no foul. <laughs> yes. There you go. Go back to malice at the palace times. I'm in. All right. It. Well, are there any like closing thoughts that you guys have um, about this whole conversation? Cause I, I feel like we could still talk about this for another hour, but we probably should, uh, give our listeners ears a break. Yeah, I could go deep into conspiracy theory territory, but I Nick, give it give us an elevator pitch on your best conspiracy theory. Um uh, well, okay, the one that I had in mind for this, okay, first of all, best conspiracy theory has been proved and that's that Paul Pierce pooped his pants in the 2008 NBA Finals. 
It's Second. on record. I was hoping this was coming. It's on record. I'm so grateful. <laughs> now, I was so baited there, and I am okay with it. <laughs> um, the conspiracy you theory. Let the alley fly for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the, let's see. This one that I wanted to touch on very quickly is that basically the way that NBA, that they, it kind of touches on the NBA as a business perspective and that. In playoff series, they want the games to go to seven seven games, and they want the games that are or the teams that are big market to go to move on. So basically, the way that they do that, according to you know conspiracy theory, um, is that between each game they give. So this is after each game. So this is not like what Riley mentioned, where at training camp they go through and say this is how we're going to call things. After each game, they give the refs feedback from the previous game and say this is how you call this this is how we want you to call it and i think because the nba is so judgment focused that um you know they can say you know hey luca wasn't getting calls tonight tomorrow we're going to give him calls and they're all going to be right but they're going to be different than they were last night and so that's kind of i mean you talk like uh king's fan agonize over uh the western conference finals against the lakers game six um and like uh, there was a uh, Van Gundy in uh, the finals when the um, I think it was the Rockets and uh, the Mavericks. Um, he kind of you know came out after the game and said the Rockets were down 2-0 and said that someone told him they were going to start calling less on Yao um, to you know bring the series back closer. They didn't say to bring the series back closer, but they said they were going to start calling less on Yao. Um, and he went public and actually got fined, I think, $100,000 for revealing cool. that. Um, and so there is a lot of, you know, conspiracy theory saying, or not conspiracy theory, but things pointing to conspiracy theory that, you know, the NBA controls a lot more of the game's outcomes, especially in the playoffs, than we would like to believe. You've, you've, I, I can't believe this didn't come up earlier. Um, but is it, isn't it crazy that there are two different sets of rules? between the regular season and the playoffs, like wh- where, where else is that true? Not in football, not in soccer, not in baseball, not that I can think of, right? Like, and we all know it and it's kind of like accepted and, and we talk about it like, oh, it's a different sport. It's, you know, different, uh, 60, 82 game player versus 16 game player. Yeah. This, that, that boggles my mind. And it, you know, it's just something that we've all like decided is normal because it's been going on for so long, but isn't that crazy? Like what, what? Yeah. Why? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And right, Riley, earlier you mentioned that one of the best sporting events that you've ever watched, if not the best, is the Game 7 2016 Lakers-Cavs, you know? And the last few minutes there are just – there's a lot of free-flowing basketball, you know? There's a lot of time in between stoppages of play, and that's what makes it so frantic. And uh, maybe maybe – Obviously, you can't keep that type of pace and uh, intensity up for 82 games in the regular season and then however many in the playoffs. But maybe that type of pacing would, would be so fun to see if the NBA allowed that a little bit more in in the regular season instead of the playoffs with, with this uh, theory that they are totally. they are allowing those, those things to, to happen, you know? Totally agree. Okay. I actually have one um, more. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh. One more conspiracy theory nugget, if you'll Wait. allow me. Yes, we would. Nugget. 
All right. Also, this is dangerous territory. I'm going to be known as like the NBA conspiracy theory guy now. Um, but the other one. Are you not already? I guess that's fair. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so so um, everyone knows the Tim Donaghy scandal, how he you know fixed NBA games. Um, little known fact is that the mafia. So a lot of the fixing kind of went through the mafia at the time. Um, the mafia claims to have three NBA refs on payroll at the time, and not one of them was Tim Donaghy. So it could be deep-seated. It could have been, you know, systematic. David Stern could have been hiding some ish. I would not put it past that man. Mm-hmm. I would put almost nothing past that man. Yeah. It's business. Well, what I'm learning right now is – uh, maybe maybe after the season, maybe maybe once there's less juicy nuggets to talk about, we need to have a full-throated NBA conspiracy theory podcast where we bring Nick back and Nick walks us through the great NBA conspiracy theories of our day and age. Put it put it in the doc, Nolan. That's that's it's yes going in there. It, it's going on the schedule, <laughs> Nick. Clear your Sweet. schedule for any any Monday night. After the playoffs, <laughs> any and everything will be canceled. Good, good, good. All right. Well, now that we have sufficiently teased uh, an episode four months from now, um, as much as I would love to just skip right there and keep talking to both of these guys, I think it is time for us to call it a night. So, uh, thank you everyone so much for tuning in. This has been the hockey assist. You can look for new episodes of our podcast dropping each Wednesday morning. And that can be found on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to like subscribe and leave a review. We, we love your feedback and the conversations that we have with our fans as, as few of them as there might be. Uh, if you have feedback, don't hesitate to reach out either by leaving a comment or hitting us up on Twitter at hockey underscore assist. Uh, thank you so much to Nick Lampy for joining us. This was a fantastic conversation. We, we appreciate you and your time so very much. Uh, is there anything you want to answer with our very limited platform? Oh, man, I wasn't ready for this. Uh, be a good person. Yes. Fantastic. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I would expect nothing less. All right. Uh, well, Nolan, unless you have any final thoughts, I will, I will wrap this up. This is great. Take it home, Riley. All right. So uh, we hope you all enjoy the show, and we cannot wait to bring you any more. For Nolan Cope, I'm Riley Gaucher, checking out of episode 12 of The Hockey Assist. Thanks for tuning in, and have an excellent week. <laughs>